Well, hello, my little diversifiers. Holly here, officially welcoming you all back to the second half of Diversify Season 2. Yes! Ah, thank you for bearing with us while we sorted out the second half of this season, but it's now officially back and should be coming to you weekly. Whoop! I also just wanted to pop on at the beginning of this episode to give a tiny little content warning. I'm sure by the name of the episode you will have figured out that this is about loss, which is a very personal and can be quite a triggering issue for people to talk about. We do acknowledge the existence of death and we do talk at length about our personal experiences of loss. Specifically, we talk a lot about the loss of one or both parents and how that has affected us in every aspect of life. That's obviously quite a difficult topic to talk about and if you think it might be too much, feel free to give this one a miss and we'll see you back next week. Having said that, I think it's a really, really important topic to discuss and I think the fact that we as a society don't talk about it enough is what makes it so difficult to talk about in the first place. I promise you, it's not all doom and gloom. We have a laugh, we drink some wine, we talk about this thing that makes us all human. After all, death is the one thing that we can all guarantee will happen to us all. So yes, I hope you enjoy the episode and we will see you next week for more of the second half of the second season of Diversify. No difficult second albums here. It's all going up, baby. Turn out the light, open the curtains Go and do useful things you to diversify. I am Holly. And I am Kate. And uh, it's yet another episode as that's what happens with podcasts. More episodes come out every week per season and we are in season two. And this is another diversify first. One might call it a diversify. God. (laughs) We have gone abroad. We are in... We are illegal aliens in Queen's Park. Yeah, and we are... Are East London people allowed over in West? Well, I don't know if I'm East London. I'm more like North. Oh, yeah. Should we just jump straight into it? I mean, who knows when the feds are going to be coming knocking down our door and telling me to go back East. Good, okay, yeah. (laughs) We are visiting our very, very lovely guest who has allowed us to go from North slash East London to North West for one evening. Our guest... Can I just say something? It took us 10 minutes to find a Sainsbury's. That's how west we are. <laughs> and then on the way here, we walked past a Marks and Spencer's and we're like, oh, I could have just gone there. Um, <laughs> but Holly did buy some really disgusting looking, actually quite Moorish fries, which we didn't get out because our guest has put a beautiful spread together. They're like, the, you know, the crisps. They're like, oh, they're crisps. I thought you were like a soggy bucket. <laughs> yeah, a soggy box of fries with a chippy. <laughs> I did think I had to clarify that I haven't just got like some like, stinking old McDonald's in my bag. <laughs> Our guest today is a beautiful person inside and out. She is an international model who has worked for Burberry, Topshop, Mary Claire. Mary Claire? Mary Claire. The lesser known cousin of Mary. <laughs> and she has also graced, graced, graced the cover of Italian Vogue. Um, who are you? I am Millie Simmons. Yay. Hi, Millie. 
it's so lovely to have you here in your flat. <laughs> and can we just say, guest of honour is Lil Marley. Who is now asleep. Marley, I'm meant to be awake for this, mate. Marley the cockapoo. Gorgeous yeah. little golden cockapoo. The hypoallergenic cockapoo. Yeah, absolutely. He is gorgeous. <laughs> um, we've been really excited about doing this podcast for quite a while because we touched on some of the themes of this particular episode when we were interviewing someone in season one. And we've been really excited to interview you and have this really important conversation. It is so wonderful to be invited as well because what we're going to talk about now is is something that needs to be spoken I think more about and so I'm so happy to do it with you girls. We think it's really important to talk about this stuff in an honest way that can be upbeat and funny as well as sad so we're excited for gentle listeners to come on this journey with us. (laughs) I guess the only way to do this is just to ask you what your story is. Um, yeah, so I've lost both parents, and I'm 28, so it's quite young to lose both parents, I guess. Can I ask if you lost them, like, at the same time? Like, was it one No, situation? thank fucking God, no. My dad died when I was 14, of a heart attack. It was very sudden. He had, I think, one or two, and then he was stable. And I was actually on holiday with mine and Kate's mutual friend in Wales, and it was actually the weekend of the London bombings on all the tubes. That weekend in Wales surfing, my mum had called Em's parents uh, that we were, I was holidaying with and said, look, my dad, Mark's had a heart attack and he's died. But they were so wonderful. Like Em's parents are like my kind of surrogate parents. And I think they didn't want to be the people to tell me. So they said, look, girls, because uh, they owned a few properties in London, and they were like, look, we need to go back to London because the bombings have happened, and we need to check our properties. So we got in the car and drove back, and it was a very weird drive because everyone was really sad. And I don't think Em knew, but Em's mum was quite upset, and it was just very quiet. And I, I just assumed that everyone was upset because of obviously the bombings that had happened and stuff. Got back to my mum's house, there was quite a lot of cars parked in the driveway and I just didn't click at all. Like, it was so odd. And I just remember sitting down in the sitting room. I had no idea my whole family was in the kitchen. There was kind of flowers everywhere and stuff. And I was like, what's going on? Sat down and my sister, who's three and a half years older than me, she, she told me. And my sister was the one that she found him on her own. So she had to sit me down and say, you know, daddy died last night. Obviously, as you can imagine, like the most horrific thing for like her to have to tell and she'd been on a date and I think she saw the door was open she saw like that he looked like he was sleeping so she kind of didn't go in for a bit and then she went in about 15 minutes later and she tried to like resuscitate him on her age 17 I think he just had like one massive heart attack and and it didn't it was just a real blur actually my sister and I slept for literally two days we just slept and slept and slept and it was weird. I remember at the funeral, like the main thing that I remember at my dad's funeral was getting a confetti banger that I found in his house and thinking that it would be fucking hilarious to let, let it off on the, in the garden and the lawn. <laughs> so I let this massive confetti banger off and everyone was having like drinks and like being really sad and then I had to hoover the lawn. <laughs> <laughs> And my sister's like, I just remember you hoovering, like, Dad's lawn and everyone was just, like, really sad. And it was just, like, confetti everywhere. It was kind of, like, a funny part of the funeral. I find um, funerals quite funny. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, because you also you are remembering someone's life, aren't you? They bring everyone together. So you've got your family. Like, my dad's best friends, who I'd never met, told me and my sister all these crazy stories about him that we never knew. 
And actually, we did, you, yeah, we did laugh. You laugh, you cry. Yeah, I found out things about my dad that I never knew. And I tell you what, like, one of the most special things about my dad dying, which sounds really weird, but basically, he and my mum were divorced, and he had a girlfriend called Sarah. Basically, he died, had to clear out his whole house, which obviously brought Sarah and my mum, Carol, together. And my sister and I are packing boxes downstairs at my dad's house. And we just heard, like, these two giggles coming from upstairs. And we were like, oh my god, they're bonding. Oh my god, what's going on? Went upstairs, and they were in his knicker drawer, like, <laughs> packing up his boxes. Found, like, loads of, like, personal, private things. They ended up being best, best friends. Sarah's, like, an auntie. And she's absolutely gorgeous. She's, you know, always, always there for us. And, yeah, so that came from him dying. And we always say, like, Daddy would just be, like, looking down at Mummy and Sarah, laughing over his boxes, absolutely fuming that they're, like, in all his, you know, personal drawers and everything. It's a pretty big thing to have in common with somebody to have fallen in love with the same person. Yeah, and I I don't think that would have happened with every ex and every... Definitely not. Girlfriend, you know? And I think also when there's kids involved, I think they obviously kind of did it for us. And actually, yeah, we went after the funeral, we scattered his ashes in Cornwall, which is where we still go every year. It was like our special place. And, oh God, scattering his ashes was like another story. We were on his boat and it was fucking blowing a nine gale force wind or something ridiculous and his ashes were like flying around back in the boat and we were all laughing and crying and his boat was about to capsize and it was just such a mess can I ask a question about ashes as somebody so my dad is ashes yeah still <laughs> not, not that your dad is in ashes my dad is still in a pot uh, hilariously now in my mum's closet which is a whole other story she had some people round she had like my cousin and his his now wife from America and they she offered them her room she was like I just feel like it's a little bit awkward if Dave's staring at them so she just put him in the closet and he's just never come out which I think is hilarious that is, that's actually really funny yeah so I don't think we'll ever scatter my dad's ashes because he mm. didn't really have a specific place um, he was an older guy and his place was with us so home was his place, and that didn't mean Kent, where he died, because he was well pissed off to die in Kent, because they'd sold the house. <laughs> and he was like, fuck! <laughs> yeah. So he never has been scattered, and I don't think I ever will. Um, what is that like? Because I've picked his ashes up once or twice. It's weird, right? Some people say the weight's weird, but what was weird for me was I kind of tilted it and I felt the shift. That little shift of sand, basically, is my dad. Yeah. <gasps> yeah, no, it is a very, very bizarre thing to get your head around. For me, I'm, try- I'm trying to remember... I was quite young. I mean, dipping your hand in it and scattering it in the sea was just bizarre. It's all over your hands... But then in a way, it's so special. And because we did it in... It's our special place. And we were brought up down there as kids. that had a holiday home. And, you know, like, one day I want to get married there. And my mum is now scattered there as well. Every single summer, we go back. My sister and I, like, will row out into the ocean. And we write him a little note and put it into a bottle and sink... Well, try and sink it. And we always have, like, a laugh trying to sink it. And it fucking pops back up again and stuff. But, like, the ashes itself... I find it difficult to come to terms with it. Well, I, I don't know, but I would rather that than have a grave to go to. That's what I was yeah. about to ask, because 
I, I'd say it was about 50-50 the people that I've lost have been either cremated or buried and I, I always thought it was a bit bizarre the idea of going to a grave. My grandfather for instance was buried in Devon and it's going to be difficult for me to go down there and see him. Yeah. But one of my mum's best friends is buried in the church next to my house and sometimes we go down there and it's, it's joyful but the last time I went down there I, I felt very, very sad but in a sort of, I needed that. Yeah. sort of thing and I I don't know I think that if a grave is in a place where people can visit it there's something powerful and profound about having that one spot to go to is it the same when you when you scatter ashes in a specific space you said that that place in Cornwall was yeah to be honest I get that so now when I go down I feel so overwhelmed Sometimes with happiness and sometimes with sadness but it's such a peaceful feeling actually because the ashes are scattered in the way they're kind of also everywhere, they're not just in one place. I'm so happy, you know, that they both wanted to get cremated. And also I do travel a lot and I just feel like I don't have to go back to like one place. Imagine if they were buried both in Rutland, I'd feel like I'd have to go back there all the time, it'd be really annoying. <laughs> There's something quite nice about just being like, well, if I need my dad, he's in the closet. I mean, I don't live, I don't live with my mum, but it's like, when, when he died for the first couple of years, every time I would go home, I'd put my hand on the little urn and just be Aww. like, I love you, and then leave. And now I don't even think about it. And I think that's a nice thing because yeah. it's a different house. It'd be very different if it was the one that he died in. I would probably feel more like, well, my whole 9 to 18 was spent there, but my mum's in a new place. Yeah, it's interesting how it changes, but there is something nice about knowing that I could come home and seem if I needed to you scatter ashes in a place where it was somebody's important place yeah, and yeah. my dad's important place was What's with us yeah. yeah whereas my granddad and my nan lived in Devon and I would love to at some point scatter their ashes somewhere like Dartmoor so it's really interesting the different experiences that people have as to whether or not you want to bury somebody I know religious people like Catholics for example now cremation is fine but you still want to bury those ashes it's like an environmental thing isn't it you, well you i mean cremating cre mm. yeah biodegradable coffins is yeah but that makes sense but cremating is not you think it's really good for the environment and then it's like actually you're just putting a massive fire yeah 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 but i still like actually cremation. going to that though i would say that is one thing that is seriously haunting is the cremation the process of actually going to the chapel and seeing the coffin go into the curtains and then go straight into the furnace that is the worst absolute worst the service was at the crematorium both parents at the same place so it was that like reliving it again with my mum recently and standing outside the crematorium and watching that the hearse drive through and you just think, oh my god, it's, it's actually happening. Because I think when you lose someone, it's such a whirlwind and sometimes you actually don't get your head around it. And as soon as you see that, the hearse come through, you just think, fucking hell, like, my parent is actually dead. Like, it's so sudden sometimes. It's quite hard to actually get your head around. For me, the coffin's very final. I mean, they're big enough, obviously, to fit a person in. But, like, you sit there... <laughs> I'm, I'm like speechless I'm like you sit there and you go well I know there's six people carrying it or I know they're on a wheel or whatever but that can't be a person in there 
And not only yeah. can that not be a person, but that can't be my person in there. That's the one thing that when my nan died, um, so my dad died, and then a year later, my granddad died, and then like two years later, my nan died. Mm. So my poor fucking mum, because it was yeah. her parents, and she was having to deal with my nan's dementia and all that stuff. My, I had the same thing actually, my, sorry to butt in. No. My nana, yeah, she died from dementia just before my mum had her brain surgery. Wow. Yeah, and actually she got committed at the same place as my mum as well. That happened to my family as well. We had a, a family member had her sister, brother, mum and dad. And bear in mind she doesn't have any other siblings. They all died in the space of like a few years and her brother and her mum died within a month of each other. Oh my god. It's strange, isn't it? Shit, that's so strange. That that stuff happens. and When it I, rains, it pours, that's what they say. Hell, it's yeah. so true, it really the, is uh, true. The community that I grew up in, a lot of people, um, I think it, the first one when I was 18, I think five or six people around the same age as me that all knew each other died yeah. over the course of two years. It was really strange. It's really, it's so unfair. It's so unfair. It happens. Isn't it weird that the one thing that we all know that is going to happen is that we die? That's like the one thing that we know will happen, but, but then it's the and... biggest surprise. Yeah, because it's the least thing that you obviously want to happen. And when you see that coffin, I'm somebody who likes to, if it was like my close relative, I really do want to touch the coffin. I remember when my nan died, I just wanted to touch the coffin because to me, I don't think I realised no. until we were talking about it how much... The coffin is a big deal to me. But for me, it was like, the coffin is the person. Can I yeah. ask, like, um, because obviously your dad has had his whole tale, but we now know that your mum also died. Yeah. And we haven't given her her airtime. Yeah. My mum was 68. She had a benign brain tumour. And I've got three older sisters. Made out to us girls, as mums do, that it was absolutely fine. She's just going to have an operation. And I was on a modelling job in Mykonos the day that she was going into hospital. Her husband at the time was with her. We could, All of us girls could just tell that she wasn't herself at all for like quite a few months like leading up to her surgery. We just thought, you know, she's probably obviously really nervous. Like brain surgery is huge. And she went into theatre and I flew back and hadn't heard anything and hours and hours and hours went by. And we had a phone call finally after being up all night chain smoking <laughs> that it hadn't gone to plan and that she had a huge bleed to the brain and the tumour was a lot bigger than they thought. My sisters and I grabbed a bag, got on the train, got up there and she was in a high dependency ward, not mummy anymore. So literally, tubes, everything coming. It was like walking into a nightmare, like a horror movie, into that room. And there was so many people in there. There was a man with a bolt in his head. People were like half dead. It was horrific. And she was just lying there on, on a bed. She was at this stage where she, she, she knew it was us. We went into the room and we didn't really realise like to the extent of how bad the operation had gone and uh, we went in there and obviously just we all broke down into tears and she was just in like a near vegetative state so she spent months and months and months and months and months oh in, God. yeah and uh, she had a, a drain in her brain to drain fluid and 
But the thing is, there's like, the surgeon just, they can't tell you anything. He just said, oh, it just didn't go to plan. Like, every time we would go to hospital, it'd be that dreaded thing, like, I need the Simmons family, like, let's go to the family room and sit down. And like, every single time we would do that, it was always negative. And my sisters and I, we were so incredibly positive because my mum was the most positive woman you'd ever meet. She was absolutely incredible. And we were like, she's going to get better. She's going to properly wake up. Maybe she'll just have like, maybe a week or two and have some therapy and she'll be, she'll be right as rain. And yeah, she just got worse and worse and worse. And ended up in a Lamington Spa in a, like a brain specialist hospital and just had like ongoing infections and everything but it was so in a way eye-opening because brain injury is not something that's spoken about it's something that people don't want to talk about because it's so hard to talk about god just being in there and and my sister and i would take her out to the garden in her wheelchair and she was at the stage where after her surgery she couldn't talk she couldn't walk she couldn't really move like she could kind of wriggle her foot and stuff i mean so we we had we had a laugh with her don't get me wrong we had a laugh with her my sisters and i she, my mum would kill me for saying this but we used to like do her nasal hairs because she told her best friend if i'm ever in hospital and i can't shave uh, i get really hairy you've got to like sort me out so we used to shave her legs and sometimes we'd go in in the morning and we used to ask the nurses to put on her makeup because my mum was very glamorous and she loved to kind of do herself up but in a, in a beautiful very elegant way and we'd go in and sometimes the nurses would put like purple eyeshadow on like makeup that wasn't hers and we'd go in and just laugh and then like show mummy in the mirror and she would try and like pop a smile <laughs> and just, uh, so yeah we, know we did try and make it positive for her to make her feel that like you know less scared but as I was saying before I would take her outside and I remember meeting a lovely man and he was probably about 36 and he had his wife and they just got married they just had a kid and she was just complaining at home the week before she felt sick and dizzy passed out in their in their bathroom and she had a brain hemorrhage and I mean it could happen to anyone and the hardest thing I think about brain injury is you just don't know what's going to happen it could be a good outcome or it could be a bad outcome so yeah so then from Leamington it kind of got to the point where they were like we think you should go somewhere either near you girls or near her husband and we we wanted her to come to London because we felt that we could give her all of the positive vibes that she needed because she was there that's why we were so positive because we were like mummy is there like she can hear us so I felt pregnant as well when she was at Leamington's bar I think so I had this like growing belly and she knew I was pregnant and I would sit and talk to her for hours and do her nails and if I would say like what do you think about this baby girl and show her pictures on my phone or whatever do you like this one nor did you like this one and she would nod so it was her, her body letting her down yeah, her was, mind yeah her mind was there and she fought and fought and fought to get better so it was basically just having like someone who you love more than anything in the world pretty much all there but not being able to do anything about it trapped in her own body and also she was like the most active like she would be the last person dancing at the party she was just an absolute go-getter had such a zest for life she ran her own business she was very successful uh, she loved to travel you know she just got married it was her time to actually have fun so how did your mum die in the end? She was in West Norwood at like a, a kind of another specialist brain rehabilitation hospital. And she died on Christmas Eve 
Oh um, but actually not in she actually died in uh, King's Hospital in South London she got sepsis the thing is I think when you're in a situation like she was in you're lying in a bed flat and you're not moving around so you do develop like all these chest infections and stuff and she got one a couple of days before Christmas or something and we didn't realised how bad it was going to be. They had said to her, do you want to go to hospital? And I think she nodded. But we didn't realise how bad it was going to be. And, yeah, she passed away Christmas Eve. And, ironically, her name is Carol because she was conceived on Christmas. Oh, wow. Which is really weird. So, yeah. Shakespeare died and was born on the same day of the year. My dad's birthday. Really? Your dad's birthday. Fuck Shakespeare. My dad's birthday. (laughs) Every time it's St George's Day, I'm like... Uh, uh, Shakespeare, uh, uh. David Mallet. So, when did your mum die? Um, not this Christmas Eve, you just had the one before. My daughter was three months old. So that's very Yeah, that's years ago, yeah. I'm interested in people's experiences of loved ones when they die. When my dad died, I got on a train and I was able to be with him until he died and we weren't sure exactly how long it was going to be. It was a Thursday lunchtime, my mum called me, I was back on Thursday evening, my dad died Friday afternoon. But I remember saying to mum, because the doctor was like, it doesn't seem imminent, I'll see you tomorrow. And he died half an hour later. But I remember saying to my mum, when is he going to die? And she was like, I'm not sure. So I was ready to spend the next two weeks just waiting for just it. Waiting, yeah. But he died and I was there and my mum was there and one of my half-brothers was there oh. and he knew that the other one was coming from Brussels the next day. Um, but I got to be there and I feel incredibly privileged yeah. to have had that moment for me. Um, but also, does it give you comfort to know that he knew that you were there? For him to have known that you were by his side when he passed away? I think so. Probably gives you comfort as well to know that he would have been comforted by that. I think so. And also, when I was around him and when I was sitting next to him, I just kept saying all those things that you think you need to say that were like, I love you. I'm proud of you. You're the best dad ever. I'm going to miss you so much. And about four hours in, I was like, fucking hell, he must be so bored because all I'm doing is saying the same things. So at a certain point, I switched and started saying, I know you're proud of me. I know that you love me. And I know that you know that I'm going to be okay. It's not going to be fun and we're going to miss you so much and we wish you were here, but we're going to be okay. And it was really interesting, that moment that I felt where it switched, where I was like, who actually is this for? Yes, it's for me, but it's also for him to know that we're going to be okay. Yeah. And I feel like there are so many levels to that that I can't even start thinking about. I would need to write an entire fucking novel or play about it to really put into words how that felt but I remember that moment where it's like he just wants me to know all the things that he can't tell me because at the time all he could do was move his eyebrows and then when he was really close to dying he couldn't even do that so it's what you were saying with your mum instead of nodding my dad would like move his big eyebrows (laughs) but at a certain point it became really important that you had to do certain things like his two grandchildren uh, my nephew and niece had sent him this lovely video saying get well soon granddad even though obviously we'd known he wasn't going to get better and I played it to him on repeat until I saw him move his eyebrows or go uh it was literally uh because I was like great he's seen it 
And then I said to him over and over again, and he probably heard it every time, but who cares? Tony's on his way tomorrow. He's coming tomorrow. He's coming tomorrow. Until he actually responded in a way that I knew he responded. Yeah. Because that was like, okay, he's actually heard his grandchildren. And yeah. he has heard that his son, who isn't here yet, is coming. Yeah. And all that matters isn't just that he knows we love him. Because he fucking knew that anyway. Because we spent, I spent 21 years doing it. But that he knew that we knew that he loved us because the only person that couldn't talk in that situation was him. So that's what happened with me. And I feel incredibly privileged to have been there when it happened. And there's also funny things like, genuinely, they die, but they haven't actually died. You get this little pamphlet and it's like, oh yeah, they'll stop breathing for 30 seconds. He just stops breathing. And I was like, is he dead yet? And he just goes... (laughs) And then dies 30 seconds later, but we knew it was coming. Um, I feel incredibly privileged. Yeah. How do you feel about not being there for either of them? Is that something that you... So with my dad, let me start with my dad. Um, I mean, obviously, I I wish that I could have been there because I would have wanted to have maybe tried to help him because his was a very sudden death. Do you know what? For my sister, I wish I was there. For a 17-year-old to have to deal with that in the middle of the bloody night with paramedics and well, she had to try and resuscitate him first on, on her own and then called an ambulance and then you know his girlfriend was in Australia at the time so yeah I wish I was there with my mum the past couple of weeks I've started feeling guilty that I wasn't there and I'm not too sure why I think when you lose someone it takes such a long time sometimes for it to actually hit you and it's it slowly has been hitting me more recently and I think shit like why wasn't I there? Because she had sepsis. The sepsis came quite quickly from, like, she was in the hospital and they're like, okay, she got sepsis and then she's passed away. But when she had this chest infection, I spent that Christmas in Cornwall and I was quite hesitant going. Olive was three months old. My partner, like, you know, his family haven't seen her. Um, We'll go down, we'll go down for, like, three, four days and then come back and, like, have a second Christmas with Mummy. Be fine. But as soon as I think we had got down to Cornwall, she was taken into hospital, but my sisters were with her. They were going in and out separately and they're like, yeah, she's fine, like, she's okay, like, don't come back, we'll tell you if you need to come back. And the space of her having a chest infection and then getting sepsis and dying all happened really quickly. And it happened in the middle of the night, I think about one o'clock or two o'clock in the morning. Yeah, it, it literally just went like that. And my boyfriend's mum, at that time she was a nurse in the hospital. And I said, oh, they just told me she's got sepsis. And her face just dropped. But now, like, I'm just like, why the fuck did I go to Cornwall? And I know you can't take that back. I know that that's not going to change anything. But part of me is like, why did I make that decision to go to Cornwall? Why didn't I stay with my mum? One of the really hard things about losing someone or having someone who you love who's so ill is very, very selfishly you do need time for yourself too in order to give them your time. So I, you know, I was just like, um, I should go to Cornwall for a couple of days and do that and then come back and see her because it absolutely wears you down. Honestly, it makes you meant like ill if you don't take a day out of going to the hospital. That last trip I did to Leamington Spa, I thought to myself, fucking hell, I literally don't know if I could do that again. I, I obviously would for her, but like mentally, physically, is the hardest, 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 hardest thing to see, especially like your parent, so unbelievably ill that you can't do anything to help them. It's, it's, 
So, yeah. But here's the thing. I think there are two different kinds of selfishness. Being selfish in terms of, like, only caring about yourself is one thing. But I genuinely believe that selfishness has another entire context, which is sometimes I have to be selfish because that is what allows me to care about other people. Yeah. Um, you need to fit your own gas well, like, before you yeah. fit somebody else's. It, yeah. ex- literally that. And secondly, you're a mummy. Obviously, you want to be there for her, but she understands, because she was a mummy, that you have your family. And mm. thirdly, which is something that we don't talk about enough, we tend to define people and our relationships so much in certain contexts by the moment they die that we forget that your legacy with your mum is not whether or not you were there holding her hand when she got sepsis and died. Your legacy, really, is that you were there for the fucking months and months and months. That's so so lovely that you said that. But but it's so so matter-of-fact. When I think about my dad... Now, six years later, I very rarely think of the time he actually died because I have the privilege of knowing that I don't have to think about it because yeah, I was there. You were there. But I think that's telling because as somebody who got that privilege, it doesn't mean as much. Mm. Whereas if you don't get it, it means more. Mm. But I think that's telling to say that the moment that is important is the, the whole time that we're fighting for her to get better and try, yeah. We're not even fighting. We've the moments you were shaving her fucking legs, that moment where you were like, Mum, they have done your makeup so badly. <laughs> what it all comes down to is the fear of whether or not our loved one knew that we would be we there, there for her. And well, she my knew. sister said that when she went, she didn't know what was going on. She wasn't there at all. So they said, do not ever feel guilty. And then, you know, the thing is as well, we didn't know it was going to happen so if we knew and it was like okay it's looking really bad you need to come back of course I would have been there but yeah it's just it's just one of those things and I don't know maybe it's a way that I'm dealing with it I don't know maybe it's a way that's trying to divert myself from thinking about something else I have no idea my big guilt was I stopped thinking about my dad every day yeah oh god that happened to me with my dad as well that was going to be my next question what is everybody's grieving process what was yours I have a thing, and I've noticed this, because, oh God, I'm so lucky. The people that I have lost have been very important people to me, but there's always been people who I've been going, God, I'm hurting, but you must be hurting more. I always call it the guest of honour at a funeral. When you walk into a funeral and you're like, everyone's looking at me! Yeah. So there's always somebody that I am hurting for, as well as me hurting. Yeah. There is something there, actually, that I don't know whether it's because I haven't been the, as you call it, the guest of honour at a funeral. I feel guilt for feeling sad because I I need to give all my strength to them. It's a a weird feeling. Like, I shouldn't be allowed to be sad sad right now, but you're still hurting because you obviously Mm. loved or cared about the person that has died. But um, I have a thing. I find out someone's died. I'm in shock for about six hours. And then at about two or three in the morning, depending on what time I find out, then I just have a meltdown. And I remember one time my mum telling me that someone very close to my family had died and I came down at two in the morning. She was like, what's wrong? I was like, there was one time when my grandfather died. This one time. And I do this thing as well. A, a couple of weeks afterwards, I'll get really pissed off with people and I'll like... I'll be a horrible, horrible person to people that are very close to me, but I'll pick them off one yeah. by one. 
and I'll have to explain and then it will be fine. But um, I'd been desperately trying to fix this show that I was involved in and I was in the kitchen talking to my friend and I was going, the funeral's going to be on Monday and it's going to be such a nightmare if I have to do this thing and then the funeral... She's going, I think you need to think about what's actually going on here and focus on where your energy needs to be directed because right now you're... And I just fell on the floor and just like had a complete breakdown. So that's what happens with me. I have a breakdown, I forget about it, I get really angry at everyone, and then a few weeks later, something normal will be happening, and then I'll just be like, oh fuck, I've just been trying to distract myself. I'm kind of the same as well, actually, with me. Like, I kind of find out, and then go into shock mode, kind of numb. Like, when my sisters told me they called me, I was literally just like, oh my god, oh my god. Like, you know, shaking, all that. But, like, I didn't cry the first second. And then my whole whole body I just felt like actually my, my heart had been ripped out my body and thrown around and scrunched up just absolutely numb and sick that sick stomach feeling um, and I had that for like quite a long time actually and then I kind of crack on you go from losing someone to then organizing the funeral and I have to say my sisters were like incredible with that but it's just you know making quick decisions getting it done like yeah yeah cool yeah those flowers yeah this venue yeah and then after the funeral, it sinks in. And it's like, fuck, this is real. For me, I just, I'm still, I'm still grieving massively. But I've, I've never felt depressed, like, from losing my parents. I just get times where I feel incredibly and utterly sad. You know, and str- like stress. I get a lot more stressed, a lot more easy now. Life's busy for all of us, you know? Like, you just have to get on with it and... It's, yeah, and then I kind of... I, songs, music. So last night I was driving back from Gatwick and I was absolutely shattered. A couple of Motown songs came on. I think it was like a Diana Ross song and a Macy Gray. It was like midnight. I like turned up the volume on the M25. Just sang my heart out and I just like... I didn't cry, but I felt emotional. It's all a bit of a roller coaster, and you, you actually learn a lot about yourself, I think, from grieving someone. My friend. I don't think you ever stop grieving especially like a mother or father or a brother or a sister or you know someone who's but why should you stop I yeah think, you shouldn't I there's think, no like, grieving doesn't always have to be a negative i mean it's always a negative because there's a negative space where there was somebody but it doesn't always have to be something that we can't talk about and we can't smile at and we can't yeah sometimes we want to laugh and sometimes we want to cry like why is it so taboo to be like yeah i'm in grief but that doesn't mean that i'm in that fucking black like yeah well people just are like oh like you must be depressed if you're grieving it's like well no like you're feeling it and like you're allowed to be sad and being sad isn't the same as being depressed that's the way that i have always dealt with it and i feel so incredibly lucky that my mum got to meet my daughter and that's what's made me get through it positively it's given me so much strength she knew that i was having a baby she knew that I was okay, she met her granddaughter. And I just feel so, so lucky that she was there to meet her. And then for three months on from there, and that gives me so much strength. I thrive off that every single day. And I used to lie Olive next to her on her bed, or like lay her on her so she could feel her and stuff. And I never took photos ever. I didn't take one photo of my mum in the, the way that she was because she would have absolutely killed me. <laughs> She'd be like, fuck off, darling, don't take a photo of me. But that just gives you so much strength in thinking about, I don't know about you, your dad, Holly, but like the happy times that you have together. Like a lot of her in hospital, if I picture her face in the bed, okay, I get, 
I do get like horrible flashes of like what she looked like and how she was but I don't really remember I don't remember her like that I remember her dancing around the kitchen cooking with a glass of wine on her hand or <laughs> I don't know just at who her... they were yeah, not they how were. they died. Yeah, exactly. Who they were and and before they got ill. What yeah. losing my dad actually made me realise is that sadness is completely valid. You don't have to have somebody who's dying to feel like shit. Let's talk about it. And just because I've lost my dad or you've lost your parents doesn't mean that we can't empathise with you. But don't just give and give and give. It's about setting boundaries. For me personally, I'm the sort of person that gives and gives and gives, and that's why I talked about it. But you have to say, okay, this is what I can do. If if I do more than this, I'm going to be no good to you. Mm. And I think that's important to just be able to check in with yourself before you let all of your energy just disappear out of you. No. And perhaps not be put to the best use. You know, you. I'm, I'm coming up with a terrible metaphor now. You could draw a hundred really shit portraits with your energy and your, your art. Or you can go, okay, where is this energy going to go? And you can make one really amazing stick figure. <laughs> <laughs> well, if ever there was a moment. So now we like to ask, we're coming to the end of this wonderful wonderful discussion over wine we ask a few questions i'm sure once we've asked you'll agree they are the most important and the first one is what's your favorite disney movie cinderella (gasps) why because of her glass slippers. Oh, basic. <laughs> Sorry, I love you, but basic. Let's this. Cinderella is a movie that I watched when I was having terrible times when I was younger, and I'd always turn to Cinderella as my last resort. Really? One, yeah. It's very... <laughs> my last resort. It was never my last resort. Like, Mulan didn't work. Lion King didn't work. I fucking right? hate Lion King. It's, it really used to scare me. It's and and Beauty and the Beast as well. To be, very to be honest, I actually can't remember that many. But I love a love story. Yeah, it's just a really beautiful story about a very lovely person. Exactly. Um, the, the next question. So normally, our next question would be, when do you turn off your activism? But what we've been talking about hasn't been so much about external activism. It's been about awareness. Is there something that you would like to do to help other people that have been through? Yeah, no, yeah, I would like to help people and create awareness about what my mum's been through. I would like to do some charity work. Definitely. And we, my family and I, um, we want to do like the Three Peaks Challenge or something. Choose a charity that's, you know, close to our heart. Something like Headway, maybe. But also, I want to maybe even like volunteer in the hospitals. And when my mum was there, they had like a little dog that used to go around. And my mum actually, they had a Cocker Spaniel. I don't think Marley would be up to the job to be fair. I think he could be. Can I can I say though, I think there will be so many people who would love to have you as an advocate. Your platform can create a discourse about people who've lost people and Yeah. Just to be a patron of something even or to do small things in that way can be life changing to so many people. Yeah, this... yeah, exactly. And my industry is actually pretty incredible in the sense that there's a lot of young like-minded people and everyone is trying to help each other and everyone wants to create awareness and 
it's so lovely that you girls invited me onto your podcast and I'm doing it because I want to create awareness about it and actually ultimately talk about losing someone or talk about brain injury and for them to know that it's okay to talk and it's okay to be sad it's okay to feel all these emotions about it and I just yeah I just want to I just want to help and I'm not telling my story in any way for people to feel sorry for me that is one thing that I want to say because we all lose someone at some stage in our life you know let's face it we do and it might be when you're younger it might be when you're older and it seems kind of more normal when you're older but we all do and I just hope people are listening to this that they take on board the positive things that we've spoken about tonight and can use it and yeah just know that it's okay just modeling through and we're all just trying and we're all doing the best we can our privilege is that we can feel such a loss whereas so many people are dealing with so much dealing with it all the time so maybe this week instead of a little bit of sunshine i would like to end with a kind of um plea to be like find the joy in life but also remember that there are people who don't have what we have and it would be really great if we could use a little bit of time the odd tweet a bit of money if we can afford it to just help the people who are dealing with loss on a daily basis be that people dealing with brain injuries young children in cancer Mm -hmm. wards or be that families in war-torn countries that we somehow don't manage to empathize with our little bit of sunshine can be that we can do a tiny little thing. That is that thing though, isn't it? I think I've spoken about it before on the podcast. Is is one thing to sit and rant about something, but it's quite another to do what you can from where you are. And sometimes all you really need to do to make someone feel like they've got the strength to get through whatever it is they're trying to get through is to just say, hey, I see you. And I acknowledge. And you're acknowledge. not invisible. Yeah, yeah. I can see what you're going through. And it's valid. And that's okay. Yeah. Plugs, plugs, plugs. (laughs) So, Millie, not that you need the followers because you're a fucking badass, but you are on Instagram. Where can we find you? Well, you could find me at Millie Simmons. Who'd have thunk it? (laughs) That's it. At M-I-L-L-Y-S-I-M-M-O-N-D-S. Yeah! Boom. We are at Diversify Pod on Twitter. Hashtag Diversify Pod. Or on Instagram, we are Diversify Podcast. This is why I do not write jingles. The beginning kind of sounds do, 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 do. All right, was I didn't plagiarize. No, was nothing. That? It was originality, What's Kate. The, the movie with the factions. The factions. Well, shh, shh. It did I created sound a it. bit like that. Well, nothing is original. <laughs> okay. Kate is on Twitter. Kate. Lois, Elliot, Elliot, Elliot. <laughs> two wells, two teas. The thing okay. that I find weird about Kate is like normally Kate Lois Elliot would be like Kate Lois dash Elliot, but it's like Kate dash Lois Elliot, and it freaks me out and I don't get it. Anyway, we'll talk about this another time. By the way, you guys should start a radio station. <laughs> you just, just seriously just bantering for the entire night. You'd be brilliant. Best. Holly and Kate, the radio show. <laughs> Holly and Kate, the radio show. So bum, the Holly bum, and Kate bum, show. Bum. Oh. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> we are on... <laughs> we are, we are on all Instagram. In, uh, as... Uh,
Is it at Diversify Podcast? Podcast. Thank you for listening to Diversify. We have to end a very intense episode on something a little bit hysterical. Um, More wine? More wine. Do you know what? It would not be right if I did not end it on this. Thank you for listening to Diversify. Yeah, <laughs> Do not forget to rate and subscribe because it helps people find us and for us to get the message out. And if you hated it, we were the Daily Mail. Cheers. Hold on. I just realised I didn't press play. <laughs> no, I pressed play on this. Oh. <laughs> um, can you imagine?